0: Hi! How are there you? you are. Wow, it's been a long time since I've seen you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking about it. It's probably since I don't know. Were you in Hong Kong? Yes. You were? Yeah. yeah it's probably. probably
0: but I don't even really like remember seeing you in Hong-, in Hong Kong. so...
1: It's uh, it's a long time. It's probably 2013 or something like that.
0: 2014 was Hong Kong.
1: 14? Mm-hmm. you get a better memory than me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's so how are you? Where, uh, where where are you at
0: right now? Uh, right now I'm in Houston for the Lucy. So I have the mixed doubles event. Just had the practice session today and then tomorrow have qualifying. Yeah, I saw it on your,
1: you were practicing with Dom, right?
0: Yeah, Dom, I today? mean, obviously there were so many people there. So you kind of just move about yeah. pair to pair and I bowled with him for a little bit. So that was nice.
1: Yeah, but you're bowling with Wes again or I am bowling with
0: Wes. Um he just didn't yeah. come to the practice session, so I didn't oh, get no. to practice with him.
1: You're like, you're like locked together. You can't bowl with anybody else right
0: now. No, I think I and probably I could. I think it will depend whether he's <laughs> going to Obviously, he's not really been bowling a whole lot, so depending oh. on what his plans kind of are for the future, maybe I will. Maybe next year, who knows. Who
1: knows. He doesn't really practice a lot. I've heard. I mean, I don't
0: yeah, he I'm assuming, but no, yeah. he doesn't. From what I'm aware of, he doesn't need. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it, when he's you're good. when you're that good and that accomplished? Like, yeah, he probably doesn't need to exactly. work as much on his game. But at the same time, you still have to find a way to be sharp. And obviously, the more you practice, the more that's going to help. So I'm just hoping that he's sharp enough. Um I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be completely okay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah,
1: but um i don't i don't keep up with dates at all i'm terrible like i don't i never i never watch flow bowling or anything like it's uh you guys are only bowling the loser you're not bowling anything else right now like the summer tour is only the guys no
0: we actually have the rest of the women's tour so next week we're at the itrc in texas and we have a summer swing so we have three events um at the itrc that we'll be bowling And then from there, we go to Spokane, Washington. And then from there, we bowl the US Open. And that's the last. We've only had two majors this season because of COVID. They kind of changed how everything was working. So that's the US Open is going to be our last major. And then we have the whole month of September off. And then we have three more events in October that are in Reno. So we still have a decent amount of bowling left to go.
1: It's kind of a far stretch, like if you're bowling all the way into October.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's nice, though, because in a previously up until this point, we've literally only had um, May, June and August. That was the only month that there were any PWA events. But this year there was three events in January and then there'll be three events again in October. So it's actually nice because normally, obviously, there's not as much to be able to bowl and obviously a lot of the ladies do it for a living. So if you're trying to bowl for a living yeah. but you only actually have three months of pwa tour, it's a little difficult. So in that aspect, it's really nice to have, you know, a couple of extra events and obviously those three events they're all in the same location. You bowl two events and then if you're in the top X amount, um, you qualify for the third one. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because I was talking to some of the guys and they were like um for example some of the guys here from sweden are bowling the summer swing because of you know it, it's 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 expensive mm-hmm. um I, or i heard it was expensive um uh, just for the traveling of the whole you know of the five events
0: yeah it's also i think internationally right now it's so difficult to really be traveling yeah. Um, even for myself, obviously, I had to be back in the UK for a little bit at the beginning of the year. And then after our first PWA swing, I had to go home again. And you think even just the cost of doing that is expensive. But that doesn't even include the COVID testing that has to happen right now. And there's so many restrictions. I mean, the US still isn't very open. So in order to fly from Europe to the US, you know, we have to have an athlete waiver. And there's just a lot of different you know, variables that go into it. And I think that that stopped a lot of international people from traveling just because it is a little more risky. You know, I was looking at going to France in September and I kind of had that thought process of, well, if I do that, I don't actually know if I'll be able to get back into the UK without quarantining. And there's just so many what ifs that for this year, it doesn't make as much sense to travel internationally.
1: No. When you you went home now in between events you went back to the UK mm-hmm. was that because of like was it a visa issue or what's going on there yeah
0: so the visa that i have right now is just a tourist visa my athlete visa still hasn't been approved yet so i'm waiting for that and in order for me to be able to bowl and to be in the US i can only be in the US for 3 months at a time i'm limited to 90 days in the country so because of that I planned it to where I would be able to bowl the first swing of the women's tour. I came out to the U S three weeks prior to the first event. I then bowled for those three months. And then I had to leave again after our last event was in Louisville. So I left, I went home for three weeks um, and now I'm back and I'll be here for another three months. So it's just kind of the way the visa is working at the moment. I'm very thankful that I have the opportunity to even be able to do that because at the beginning of the year, I, I didn't know if bowling was actually going to be possible. I didn't know if I'd be ever allowed back in the US again. Not
1: exactly. Yeah. I was, uh, I was like, ex- you were, you were talking about all the COVID tests and uh, I've only taken two COVID tests since the beginning of COVID. That's not. Nice. I was thinking, you were, yeah, you were, <laughs> you were, you were, you were talking about all the COVID tests yeah. and all the bowlers and, and, and like, and I was thinking about, Kim ball because I talked to him in the second episode, and, and I didn't even ask him how many tests he took, but he's going back and forth mm-hmm. from the U.S., and I can only I mean, imagine was, how many times.
0: Yeah, when we started bowling the PWA Tour in April, because I, was, I missed the events in January because of my visa, so I started at the end of April, and we had to test before every single event. So each week we're being tested and we were still flying everywhere. I mean, we were traveling a ridiculous amount, but we had to be tested. We had to wear masks. And obviously every state kind of has different rules. But the PWA set in stone certain rules for themselves. um, And then that was lifted in June. So we haven't actually had to have COVID testing for bowling since June. The only COVID testing I've had to do is to fly internationally. So in order to fly to the UK, I had to have a COVID test. And then I had to quarantine for 10 days when I was home. And on the second day and on the eighth day, I had to test. And then in order to come back to the US, I had to test again. So it was four tests, really, just to be able Jeez, to first, go yeah. home and come back again.
1: We haven't even experienced like I, I have no idea how a lockdown like works. We even not even had that. Here yeah, in, in I didn't even realize
0: why you were in Sweden. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, I've, I've lived here since uh, three years now, two thousand, like end of 2018. Okay. So um, I lived in Norway. We, uh, we moved to Norway when I was 16, lived there for eight years. Um, then I got like kind of tired of that. I don't, you know, that's also a long story. Moved to Iceland lived there for one year and uh, realized uh, i wanted to like i moved to iceland because i wanted to get back like um you know get to know um get back with my best friends and you know live live life a little bit and then i realized um i'm not done with bowling i want to bowl so i know a couple of guys here in sweden and the guy who owns the bowling alley here was a good friend of uh, i don't know if you know Haftor. Mm, no i don't know him I so. no he's a he was like, he was the best bowler, uh, bowler in Iceland. Uh, so he, he knew a guy here in
0: Sweden. Uh, told him about me, and I just I just went on limb and and moved
1: here because you know bowling is pretty big here. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Uh, though. Do you like it?
1: Oh, it's great. You know, it, the league here is here is obviously well known all over the world, and and that's a big part of why I moved because we traveled to so many bowling alleys and. You know originally I I wanted to move to the states I was gonna to come to uh, go to college in, mm-hmm. in in at Weber but that decision had to be had to had to had to cut down after my mom realized how expensive it was and you know the the I could have taken loans and stuff like that but I had to I had to pay for the
0: whole first year mm-hmm. and after that um I could have
1: gotten like Student loan for the next three years or however long I was uh, going to be yeah, at college for, but uh, that would have been like I don't know how much, how many, how what well, what the price was in dollars, but it was yeah,
0: it's a we, lot of money.
1: It could, yeah, it's 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 a lot of yeah, it's a lot of money. So um, when that didn't work out, you know, I had to like we were still in Norway and bowling is pretty 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 big in Norway, nothing like the U.S. or Sweden, but. As soon as we got to Sweden, you know, it was a whole different deal and bowling is so big here and, and it, it has helped me a lot. So I'm still here. So we'll awesome. see where 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 it leads.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean the great thing is that you have so many opportunities there. So who knows? What's oh, yeah, going and to happen. It's,
1: yeah, and it's um it's so it's almost easier to travel from here, you know. I, I I live one hour from Copenhagen, so it's just, you know, train there and yeah, you can of course fly wherever from from Copenhagen so that's uh that's also a big deal
0: that's nice yeah
1: so um where uh, when when did you start bowling and why like where where does where did it come from
0: <laughs> I actually started bowling when I was five which feels like a lifetime ago now um my Family have kind of always bowled. So my mum used to bowl, her mum used to bowl, but nothing, you know, to a high level. They would just bowl league every week. And I remember my mum used to go to the bowling centre in the evenings. I'm like, Mum, where are you going? You know, like (laughs) child separation anxiety. Um, and then my brother actually went to a birthday party one Saturday morning and you know, we went to pick him up from the party and he really enjoyed it. And there was a youth bowling club going on at the same time. And how exactly it all happened, obviously, I don't remember because I was five. But we ended up joining that youth bowling club. And I don't know, that, that club obviously kind of created my bowling because every Saturday I used to go and it was just three games But you used to have, you know, 15 minutes of practice and then you would bowl three games and they had coaches. And there was a ridiculous amount of kids. Back when I was bowling in that club, you know, there was anywhere from 40 to to 60 kids running around. And they used to do um, different average brackets. So I was obviously in the lowest average bracket possible. And my brother was in the highest one. And I was like, I want to, you know, I want to be in the bracket with him. Like, why don't I get to bowl with him? It's not fair. So I just... I guess I'd already kind of had that competitive edge to where I wanted to be able to bowl with him. And I just kept working. I, I was lucky to be able to travel all over the UK. My parents took me to all of the tournaments that there was. And the club also did a lot of tournaments. We had a lot of national events to where the club go together and you bowl, you know, doubles and singles and team with people from the youth club. And that's kind of how it all started just traveling around the UK you know my my weekends were bowling it got to a point where my friends never asked me if I was free because they knew that I was bowling you know that was my social life um as well as I mean I loved it you know it's not like I'm complaining at all I really enjoyed doing it and I was lucky enough to join there was a like a junior team England training squad and it was a four-year program it was like an academy and people used to get invited to that academy and it was always like if you have a good what? year oh maybe you're going to get invited oh yeah, um,
1: when? When? Older, yeah, so yeah like, I was this when how old are you, like? i
0: was 12 when i got invited or 11 okay, yeah. 12 when i got invited to that squad and yeah. in the first year of making that academy um i actually got to go to the united world games in vienna so it was my first time competing at away from the UK, you know, I was was going to a different country to compete and I was competing Mm -hmm. as part of junior team England. And that probably skyrocketed everything from there because I won a silver medal Mm -hmm. at those games. And I loved it. You know, it was a very, very cool experience. And I remember being presented a medal by Paul Moore at the time. And Paul Moore was my grandma's favourite bowler. And it was just such a... (laughs) surreal feeling and it just really made me want to go home and keep working because I wanted to make Team England again you know I wanted to be able to have yeah. England on my back again and be able to stand up there on the podium and sing the national anthem and all of those feelings that you get for representing your country is it's kind of what I was dreaming about so I just continued working and I i kept bowling kept bowling everything I can and we used to have a lot of Team England qualification events. We also had, yeah. so there was European events, world events, but we also had the Triple Crown, which was where Scotland, Ireland, Wales and England come together and they all bowl against one another. So we would yeah. have trials to make those um, those teams. And, you know, there was a lot of years where I didn't make the team. There was a lot of years where they take six people and I finished seventh. And it was a very up and down junior bowling career for myself I feel like I definitely lost a lot more than I won (laughs) and you know I didn't make team England all that often people say to me like oh you were part of team England and I look at the amount of events that I actually went to and it wasn't that many um I bowled that one when I was 12 I only ever bowled two triple crowns and then I bowled one European youth championships and that was my last one And then I bowled one world youth championships once I was already in the US. So I didn't actually compete for Team England all that much. But each year, I was always in the training squad. So I used to bowl the trials, they used to select a group of people that would train together. And I would always be training with them. But I was never actually selected to be a part of the team. And in those moments, it frustrated me. And I'm You know, very upset as a young little kid, just wanting to make Team England and go to these tournaments. And obviously, I feel like well, I'm practicing every day, I was having lessons twice a week, I was bowling three leagues, like I was bowling so much. And I never felt like I could make the team. So it was very frustrating. But looking at that now... I think that that was such a huge benefit to me because it pushed me to continue working. And, you know, if I'd have made those teams, you know, maybe I, maybe I wouldn't be bowling now, who knows, obviously you can't really predict that, but I think it really drilled that mentality into me about working hard. And, you know, I, I wanted to give team England, no reason not to pick me. And that was kind of what happened in, so in 2011, I was selected to go to the European Youth Championships, which would take part in 2012. And up until that point, I'm like, they are picking me, you know, like they, 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 (laughs) they, I didn't want them to come back to me and be like, oh, Verity, we can't take you because I wanted to make sure they had no reason. So that was one of, you know, it, it pushed me to work really hard. And then I went to that event and I was really successful. So it was was kind of like the icing on the top of the cake and that event made me feel like all of the hard work and not getting picked was worth it yeah
1: it's really a different different feeling when you get that call or email or to represent your country
0: yeah but I was
1: gonna I was gonna ask like um because there there are so many kids like during the during the youth years that that when they when they don't get picked for for something that they're been working for they they just give up or win. Mm-hmm. or you know so it's uh, it's really amazing when when you see those that like you said you you develop that mentality by not being picked and and by you know I don't want to say failure because you know you're not really failing but you're not getting picked and it, it feels like you're fa- failing but you know. so right. it's it's kind of remarkable when you can push through and look at it like that
0: yeah and it's as i a, mean it's obviously one of the hardest things to do because you do look at it as a failure you look at it and, and you you compare yourself to other people and obviously that's not something that you should do but as a young a youngster it's hard not to you look at everyone around you and think okay well they made it but I'm not making it and they're doing this and I'm doing this and you obviously compare yourself and now I can say that you know you shouldn't be doing that and it's all about yourself and all about your own journey but back then as a 13 14 year old girl like I had no clue about that I was just frustrated and upset that I felt like I was working really hard and I was never getting chosen or I was going to all of these tournaments and I walk away crying in the car on the way home because I just bowled rubbish as I would say you know and I go back to practice the next day and I'm just like I don't want to be rubbish again like I don't I want to stop shooting 140s like why am I shooting 160 (laughs) and I always wanted to be able to figure that out and I think I've always loved the competition side of bowling so much um, that I've just always been hooked
1: yeah is it a When you bowled the first like international event, say with the first USC, uh, when you got chosen for the first time, because uh, I remember when I got chosen for the first time, and you know from when I got when I got that chance, I wasn't I was still in Iceland. I, I just bowling in Iceland, and I was competing with the kids here in Iceland, and. And uh, the first time I went out and bowled my first six game block, I remember after the first six games, I was outside, I was outside of the bowling alley, on the phone with my dad, crying my eyes out because it was such, it was such a shock because you you weren't the best or you it it was so much harder, it was so different from everything else because you were bowling against the Swedes and the the, the English guys and the, you know, all these kids that are, they were so much better and so much older. Like I I think it was 14 or something. Mm
0: -hmm. I think for me, I just loved seeing all of the bowlers, you know, like I've grown up in the UK around all of the same bowlers and I traveled a lot. I met a lot of people and I had a, you know, a great group of friends, but I think the coolest thing for me was (laughs) going to that event and realizing how huge bowling is around the world that's not something i'd necessarily noticed as much i had bowled some european events i bowled the youth european tour so i had already met some of those bowlers but i think it is kind of that shock in terms of wow these girls are really good and i mean i bowled really really good at my first eyc but even in in singles i shot 300 the first game of qualifying i finished the rest of my qualifying and uh like I was, I was third or fourth going into, we had to bowl the, I was fourth, I think, or either third or fourth. I don't remember, but I'm like, wow, I shot 300 and Dasha Kovalova is still like probably 200 pins ahead of me. Yeah. I shot 300, you know, like, and it was just like, wow, these it's girls just, it, are it's
1: flashing. I, I, I remember it so well when you're saying it, and I had totally forgotten it. <laughs> and yeah. the
0: funny thing is I still experience that to this day though. You know, I'm competing on the POVA <laughs> tour and I'm looking around me and I'm like, that's kelly kulik that's liz johnson there's shannon o'keefe like wow (laughs) you know and it's just it's kind of mesmerizing but i love that
1: yeah Yeah, it's uh when i went i went to the world series for the first time in yeah 2020 and uh you know i've been going to thailand and you know hong kong and pulling these uh, world (laughs) tour events and and uh but when i there there's something different standing on the lanes in the U S with all these boulders. It's mm-hmm. like, you've seen them on all these YouTube videos and, and there's Tommy Jones. And, and, and when I saw Wes for the first time, he's so tall, <laughs> like he's a big dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, seeing, seeing, seeing Norm, he's so small and cute and, you know, he's just this little guy and it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something different.
0: Mm -hmm. There's just so many phenomenal bowlers. I mean, I bowled the Women's World Championships, which was the first actually adult Team England event I bowled. And that was in Vegas. So I'm like, I'm very comfortable because I've bowled in the US so much. But you're then bowling around just the players from literally all over the world. And I mean, Team Mm -hmm. Singapore tend to compete on the PWA tour a lot. But even just to see them and Malaysia, and there's just bowlers that are they are the true definition of athletes and you can see Mm. that they do it for a living and that their country genuinely is a hundred percent behind bowling being a sport and yeah i absolutely love to see that and i just think that the whole world needs to see that Mm.
1: yeah me too you know coming from iceland we we never really had a, a bowling center that was like that you felt was a sports center there's I think there's only two centers at this moment like in Iceland so we got one big one and one smaller one like outside of uh, the capital and uh, so you you never get that feeling of it being of course you think of it as a sport like after you're an Mm -hmm. athlete and you're competing but you never get that you know walk into an arena or something like that but when I moved to Sweden uh, in my home center they have changing rooms with showers, and you know, just just that—it's nothing fancy. It's Just mm-hmm. you go in there and you change from your regular clothes to your to your bowling outfit, and just that feeling of you know, taking the uh, putting the jersey on, and you know, you're actually going to competing in it's a sport. You know, That's, um, that was a different <laughs> feeling too.
0: Yeah, I, Do uh, similar feeling, but I obviously train at the Kegel Training Centre a lot. I was there when yeah. I when I studied at university, and I'm now back living in that area. And I don't know, I, I just went home to the UK, and I go to my local bowling centre, the place where I grew up bowling. Like, without that mm-hmm. place, I I know I wouldn't be a bowler. And I stepped in, and I just had that thought process of, wow, I am really spoiled, because it was just... Mm-hmm. I'm not bashing the bowling center at all, but when I no, compare I that bowling center to the Kegel training center, it's like a whole different world. And it just made me, I mean, it made me feel really grateful that I have the opportunity to be there and train somewhere that is so pristine with so much technology, but it also just, I don't know. I kind of took a step back and I'm just like, wow, I'm so lucky. Yeah. That's uh it's really important to be able. It, it's not all the people that have that, Mentality, or like, are able to,
1: as you said, just take a little step back and mm-hmm. kind of like how far one has come and appreciated things that, as you said, you you bowl in the greatest training center, probably probably the greatest greatest uh, training center in the world. So that's to be able to appreciate that. That's 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 pretty that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely, it's a hard thing to do. Like you get so used to your surroundings and even something as simple as competing on the PWA tour, it's something that I've become so accustomed to. And it's become so normal that in 2020, when it was taken away from us, that's when I realized how grateful and how lucky I was. And I think that's made such a mindset change in me this year, because, you know, you've had something taken away from you. So now you really want to take advantage of it when it does get back and it does make you feel more grateful for sure.
1: Yeah, but I think it's still, you know, you still have to, it's still important to get that feeling of getting used to it, because that gets rid of all kinds of stress and you know when you get to start bowling and that's a part of it too to to get uh, what do you call it uh you know just the getting used to the fact that you're on the PWA tour and being able to go through as i said the stress levels and and controlling that to to be able to get to that
0: yeah that ladder
1: match and and yeah Mm -hmm. so it's that's that's also part of it
0: yeah i mean my my first game back in competition at the end of April this year—I have never been so nervous in my life. You know, like okay. I've competed for Team England and I, I've bowled live on TV before. And that first game at that event, like obviously, I'd—it'd I'd, been a long time since I'd bowled a PBA event. I'd bowled in a in a PBA event, and I'd still been competing. So it's not like I'd not been out on the lanes, but. That first, I was genuinely so nervous that first game. And I'm like, Verity, what are you doing? Like, pull yourself together. It's one side of me, I'm like, it's only bowling. The other side of me, I'm like, you've just had three months off with no bowling because you were, you know, kicked out of the country. And now <laughs> you're competing against the best in the world. Like, it was such a mix of emotions. And yes. that first game, I was just so nervous. But I think, to me, that also just showed, like, that I was in the right place. You know, that's that's where I needed to be. Yeah, that's...
1: Uh, that's uh... Makes a lot of sense. And there's nothing you can do about it there. You're you're like, you got those feelings. You, you just gotta write it. Yeah. So uh you went to college with like touch that subject now, but um what made you go to college? What was uh what was the thought process?
0: So it's funny that? because I was actually planning on going to university in the UK. I had everything planned, I'd accepted a place at a university and I definitely wasn't set on it. Um, I've never been one to really 100% know what I wanted to do with my future. I've always kind of been like, oh, all I want to do is bowl, you know, but I never knew, I knew that I had to study. I, I wanted to go to university, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I picked this degree that I was going to study and I got accepted and I wasn't sold on it, but I'm like, okay, well, that's that's my only choice. And then I bowled the European Youth Championships in 2012 and it was, I, I bowled very well. And from there, I then had some collegiate coaches from the U.S. who reached out to me and they, you know, asked if I'd be interested in, in coming to study in the U.S. And it really hadn't been something that I'd considered. And there had been bowlers from the U.K. who had previously gone out to America to to do the collegiate bowling scene. And, you know, I kind of followed their progress, but not to the extent where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. And at that time, there was a girl who had already committed to go to Nebraska. But again, it still wasn't something that I thought that I was going to do. And then a couple of universities reached out to me and I was like, no, I don't Mm. really want to go. And then I heard about Weber International and I was actually contacted through Sid Allen, who said, Verity, would you be interested in going? And I'm like, well... Of course, I'd be interested. Like one, I get to train at the Kevil Training Center and two, it's in Florida. Like me and son get along very well. So I was like, if I'm going to go anywhere in America, I want to go somewhere where it's sunny. So anyway, I sent videos to Sid Allen and he forwarded them to the head coach at Weber International, which was Del Warren. And it, it all skyrocketed from there. So at the end of April of 2012, I made the decision that I was going to go. And in the August of 2012, I was in the US. So it was such a quick turnaround. It was so unexpected. And in a way, I think that was probably a good thing, because I think if I'd have been planning it for a whole year, I probably would have talked myself out of it. Like as much as I knew that the opportunity was phenomenal, I'm very much a family girl. Um, Mm. so for me, I knew that if I had to think about being 4,000 miles away from home for four years, and if I could think about that, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I think because I had such a short turnaround, I was just kind of go, 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 like, let's get everything ready. Let's do this. And I spoke to a lot of like my peers and mentors in the UK about it. And everyone kind of said to me, look, Verity, if you hate it, you can jump on a flight home. There is nothing stopping you from jumping on that flight home but if you don't go, you're going to regret it. And my parents said the same thing, you know, they were very supportive of me as much as they didn't want me to go. They also (laughs) wanted me to go, you know, it's that hard balance that I'm sure every parent goes through. It's, you know, they want me to succeed and they want me to follow my dreams, but They don't want me to be an eight hour flight away from them. So in that aspect, it was difficult. But I'm very thankful that nobody told me not to go. Everyone was pushing me to go. It was more of whether or not I felt like I could make that decision because that's not an easy one to make. So that was that was how it all happened. And I I showed up in the in the US to study for four years. That's amazing.
1: It's, uh, It's so important that. You know, I my parents both live in Norway, so I can relate to it to a certain extent. I haven't seen my dad in 2 years because of COVID. Yeah. It's uh and but it's but it's not like you know, of course I we we miss them, but it's uh you kind of learn how to like learn with only a phone call. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it it's weird when I say it, but it's like that yeah, it's um You get used to it.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's actually probably created a better relationship for me. I think that I'm probably closer with them now than I ever have been. And I think that's because I'm so far away, because Mm. you are you do feel like you want to be in contact, like in constant contact with them. And you do miss them more. Like if I was at home in the UK and I was only a two hour drive away, I would obviously be able to go every single weekend if I wanted to.
1: Um, yeah. whereas
0: now it's that like there's so much more excitement to see them and like I want mm-hmm. to let them know everything that is going on every single day and I feel yeah. like if I was in the UK it, now if I was to go home it would be that way because I formed that relationship but if that yeah. had happened right after school and I hadn't you know if I'd have studied in the UK at university I think that relationship would have been a little bit different so for that I'm actually very thankful because I have a fantastic not that I've I've always had a fantastic relationship with them, but just feel like I'm even closer with them now.
1: Yeah. Mom always tells me that the often, the more often I call her, the more she worries because she, she thinks that when I, when I'm not calling like all the time, she knows I'm busy and, you know, I have like less, less on my shoulders. And yeah, she, um, that's her philosophy of, of of that, and it's it's probably true. It's like you're not thinking about thinking about it that much, and like when when things aren't going well, you think about your parents, and you know. So she's she's probably right on that point, I guess. Um. So, um, so you go to college. Was it was it more like? Of course, you 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 decide to go to Weber because. Is one of the one of the better bowling has one of the better bowling courses in 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 college bowling in the U.S. But like, was that the main reason, or were you like focused on the educational process of it too, or like what? Would...
0: So the reason I wanted to go was for the bowling. But yeah. don't get me wrong, I genuinely felt like the education was just as important. Um, I would love to say that I was there just to bowl, but I knew that I wanted to have a degree. And for me, I I just I know that I've always wanted to bowl, but I've always kind of had that thought process to where, well, i'm I'm gonna need a job, you know I'm and without a degree, it's gonna be very hard to get a job. So for me, Education was very important, but I also really wanted to take advantage of being at the best training center in the world. So for me it, it was a perfect scenario because I, I had the best of both worlds. You know, I was still able to to study and graduate and get the degree I wanted, but I also was able to take advantage of the training facility. Um and now to this day I'm still able to be there too. So it was definitely a mix of both but my main reason for going was 100% the bowling
1: yeah of course yeah that's nothing else would have made sense i mean being a being a bowler i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think maybe if i'd have had you know if i'd have set my sights on wanting to study specific something specific or if i'd set my sights on a job that i was really looking to do after university it might have yeah. been a little bit different but I've I've never really had that. All I've known is bowling, and mm. I think for me that's why yeah. going to the school where they had access to that training center was a no brainer.
1: Is that school like? Is it? I'm just curious now. Is it? Is it most known for its? Is is like biggest on the bowling, or is it? Do they have a good basketball team, or are they known just for their? for their educational reasons it's definitely uh... the bowling.
0: um weather international is a very small university it's starting to grow right now because they've partnered with another university but when i was there there was a max of 650 students which is nothing a lot of people would have that you know in, in one year let alone the whole university so it was so small um So I would, there's a decent amount of athletes, like they have athletic programs, but I would say that they are most known for their bowling. Yeah,
1: because I remember when I was looking at the brochures and on the websites and stuff, they, I mean, they advertised, you know, they had some like baseball pictures and basketball, Mm. you know, and, and because you're so used to looking at bowling in like 10th place of a (laughs) list of sports, you know, you know, like you would. I would have never guessed that, but, but I mean, given that they've built that bowling facility, mm-hmm. not thinking about it now, like, okay, you, you probably wouldn't invest that amount of money in, in that facility if it wasn't the biggest part of the school, I guess.
0: Well, that's the thing though, is that the, the facility and the school were separate and Kegel was running by itself for a very long time before they even partnered with Weber. And mm. it was the, the, uh, the, the, John Davis, who's not um, here anymore, was, you know, the owner of Kegel and he said that his dream was to have a collegiate bowling program and it just so happened that there was a university seven minutes down the road from Kegel and they obviously managed to work out some deal to where a bowling program started and that's obviously now is history but um the school in terms of the other programs like i know that golf and baseball they've won some championships but bowling has the majority but the bowlers have won more championships than any of the other sports at the university Mm.
1: so um college bowling how would you um like bowling, uh, bowling in college, and bowling on the UICs and, mm-hmm. and and other other youth tournaments. Like, what's the what's the main difference between them? I
0: what's think the... for me, the biggest difference was that I am training with a group of women for four years to reach the same common goal. Now, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Within Team England, we all had the same common goal, right? You all want to go to the championship and win, but. Mm-hmm we would maybe have a couple of training sessions each year. So I didn't truly know those bowlers. I didn't no. truly know their games. And I think that was the biggest difference for me bowling in college is yes, people graduate year after year, but there will be some girls that I start with and I graduate with. So Daria, yeah. for example, I spent four years bowling with her. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, if I didn't know her game inside out after those four years, then there was a problem And that was such a a big aspect of our team bowling was I should be able to make a move off every girl on that team. I should know what they're doing and know what I should be doing off of them. And I should be able to line them up based off their bowling balls. I should know their equipment just as well as I know my equipment. And having that availability to train with them every single day, I think that was the biggest difference. Um, Obviously, the events themselves D- different format but in terms of the atmosphere they did remind me of the european championships because you have everyone together on the lanes you have so many mm-hmm. parents stood behind you and everyone's cheering and it's obviously such a phenomenal atmosphere but i think that the chemistry and the way that you have worked together is Is so different, at least for me, based on my experiences with Team England, and I know that for a lot of different countries, that's different. You know, I look at sometimes what Team Singapore do with one another and the amount that they train together, and they probably have the same experience that I got at Weber, just within their team. So obviously, everyone's different.
1: Yeah, and they actually, from what I've heard, they live in the same freaking building, so they (laughs) they're actually they 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 they're obviously going for that closeness and and you know as you as you talk
0: about and it makes a difference each I, mean, games, so. I i definitely learned that you don't have to be friends with all of your teammates right like i don't have to be best mates with the person that i'm going to be bowling with but i do have to understand their game and i yeah. we do have to get on on a bowling level like personally whatever is outside of the bowling center it, it doesn't matter once you step in that bowling center you're a team And it's that communication that is so important. And to me, it takes time to be able to create that relationship, to be able to communicate with one another. And I, after I graduated, and a couple of years after I actually started coaching a collegiate program. So I've kind of seen it from both aspects of being a player and creating those relationships to being a coach. And okay, well, how am I going to get eight women or eight men to gel together? to compete with one another to like each other on the lanes you know and it's uh it's interesting it's tough but it's uh it's definitely doable and i think it's really special when eight people can come together and they can you know almost compete with the same heart it's it's something special
1: yeah and it's obviously a big asset to have gone through four years as a player and then and then becoming a coach it probably made it A lot easier if you know yeah
0: yes and yes and no I mean it definitely gave me a lot of experience to be able to translate to the coaching side of things um it was definitely more stressful as a coach I think I would much rather (laughs) throw the ball than be stood behind someone um it's it's very stressful like I I won a national championship coaching and I was way more stressed coaching winning that national championship (laughs) than I was when I won one as a player
1: yeah well, you can't do anything about it. It's, it's it's up to them. Like, you're just there to help exactly. them out, really. It's so
0: out of your control. But at the same yeah. time, you're still in control of, you know, the advice. You know, I'm trying to help those course, players yeah. as much as I can, but there's still only so much I can do. But then there's also the thought of, what if I'm wrong? What if I tell them the <laughs> wrong thing and they listen to me and everything just blows up, you know? and as a now bowler, it's your fault. Exactly. As a bowler, <laughs> yeah. if you make that decision, okay, I messed up. But as yeah. the coach,
1: it's like I, I don't want it to be my fault. And it's it's always like as a bowler, we know that it's it's more easier to it's much easier to blame somebody else than you than
0: hundred percent. Then you're getting all the blame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, what was the transition from from going for college and and to the PWBA?
0: So it wasn't a transition I actually made right away. Um, In order to be in the US, you obviously have to have a visa. So after I graduated, I actually got a work visa. And I was like, I'm going to take, I didn't know whether or not I would be able to stay in the US any longer than an extra year after graduating. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take advantage of having this extra year. I'm going to work and I'll I'll, I'll compete a little bit here and there. And then we'll kind of see what happens. If I'm able to stay, then great. If not, I'll go home. And throughout that year that I was working, I I did bowl some events as an amateur and I had bowled a USBC Queens whilst I was still at university. So I was starting to kind of like dip my toes into the professional side of things. And then yeah. um, in 2016, I was like somewhat working and somewhat bowling it was kind of like a mix of both you were able to bowl on the pwa tour as an amateur and you can only bowl in a certain amount of events before you have to turn professional so i bowled in those events and then i realized that in order to stay in the u.s i would have to get a new visa because that year visa that i had i I couldn't, you know, I couldn't extend it. I couldn't do anything with oh. it. And the I was actually working at a law firm and I was unable to stay working there because I couldn't get a visa to stay working there. So it was kind mm-hmm. of that thought process of, okay, do I try and get a visa to bowl full time? Do I go back to the UK? Or do I try and find a different job that I can somehow get a visa? Now, it's a very complicated system and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna spare you all the details, but I ended up getting... Um, an athlete visa to work as a collegiate bowling coach so that's kind of what happened I moved to Savannah Georgia to be the assistant men's and women's bowling coach at SCAD Savannah College of Mm. Art and Design and that was my way of kind of getting the best of both worlds that job was a nine-month contract so it was going to allow me three months off where I'm literally not working for three months so that I can bowl the women's tour but I'm also going to have a stable income that will allow me to afford bowling for those three months so for me that was my big thing I I really I knew that I wanted to stay in bowl so I was trying to not go home and I was trying to find the way to stay but I also felt like I wasn't ready to bowl full-time I didn't have that belief in myself that I could make a living bowling for a full year when the women's tour was only taking place for three months so I'm like Verity you're gonna have to work you know like to me, yeah. it was a little bit of a no brainer. And um that's, that's what happened. And I was very thankful yeah. that it was only a nine month contract. So I, I didn't have to worry so much about, okay, I'm going to bowl for the weekend, but I have to take time off and then I'm going to come back and work. It was literally like, I have three months to, if I want to stay on the road for those three months, I can. So that was kind yeah. of how it all happened. I think that bowling, some events as an amateur really helped me with the transition because it gave me an insight into the professional life. I got to experience travel, like one of the simplest things, like it's stressful when you don't know how to travel around a country and you don't know how any of it works. And I think experiencing that really helped. And then my first year on tour, I planned everything with Daria and we traveled a lot together and um, it kind of put me at ease and I didn't feel you know I wasn't stressed and that's one of the biggest things is you know you don't want to show up to the event already freaking out because you know you've missed your flight or you just little things like that obviously make a big difference so in terms of transition I think that those amateur events and getting a little bit of experience at that level already definitely really helped me to where I felt like I was so ready to go professional you know, I I had that love for it and I had that itch to want to bowl everything.
1: Yeah. So they they give you a visa really for, like, are they looking at you as a professional, but, or that you're working at the college? Like what's... uh... So
0: the visa, although it was an athlete visa, it was related to coaching. So it was kind of a combination of, I had to prove to them That I was a good enough coach, and that um, I, the biggest thing is the government don't want international people to take a job away from an American, which I completely get. So the biggest thing is proving that almost I can do the job, but nobody else can as big headed yeah. as that sounds. That's the way it has to be proven to the government in terms of like Verity needs to be this coach because we don't have yeah. anybody else that can do it. Yeah, 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 um,
1: yeah.
0: And again, I, I proved a lot of that through my bowling accolades. And you have to have a lot of different information from the bowling industry, whether it's articles and letters and just a lot of information that proves that you're a extraordinary uh, you have an extraordinary ability and at that time that was tied to coaching and that I was going to be such a good fit for the collegiate program
1: yeah it's not just having a friend who tells the government that you're good enough really.
0: I wish if that was the case I, I wouldn't <laughs> have had as many issues as I have had this year yeah
1: yeah yeah because i have obviously I've like I've thought about it a lot uh, you know, um, if it's more efficient for me to try to move to the US or do the same as Martin or and Jasper are doing, because they seem to be doing it, doing pretty good, mm-hmm. just fear from Sweden, and it, and it obviously works, but, um, you know, you got, you got Stu, he, he, he moved to, he moved to the US, and Mika did it, and so you got a, you got a different kind of scenarios, and yeah. You know um and i've always wondered like if it's just yeah i'm i'm a professional bowler now and that's my job and i need a green card or a visa you know i'm here no, <laughs>
0: i i wish it was that easy i mean if you think about it this way so the visa that i had at the university i reapplied for as a professional athlete so mm. i reapplied for exact same visa a lot of the information was very similar as applying for as a coach, because I was still just proving my abilities as a bowler. And the government denied it, you know, they said that I didn't give them enough proof that I was an extraordinary athlete. And Mm. it's just, it's, it's not easy to get. And I'm sure that obviously, with COVID, and there was a lot of changes within the US as well, politics wise, and I'm, I'm sure that that's made it a little bit more difficult to get. But you think that, I had that visa previously. I was obviously good enough to get it previously. Well, three yeah, years yeah. down the line, I have way more experience. I have bowled for three years on tour. I've, you know, I've mm-hmm. got accolades as a coach now, and yet I, I didn't get my visa approved. So, that's Is this
1: before Trump or after?
0: <laughs> During. During. So, oh. and I think okay. that was part of the issue was. I, in March of 2020, I had resubmitted for a new visa because Mm. I knew that I was going to be finishing working with the university. I made the decision that I, as much as I loved coaching and as much as I loved working with the team, I wanted to now take that professional game to the next level. I felt like I was finally ready to have a full year of bowling. And I thought that now was the best time to try it. And Mm. So I had to apply for a new visa and it, it all happened in March of 2020 and everything during that time COVID started and obviously they they had the Trump and Biden go off. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> during that time, I think everything got pushed back. What was yeah. supposed to take six months took more like a year. Um, mm. And it, it's, it's really hard to say. Maybe they genuinely thought I wasn't qualified. And if that's the case, then that's OK. It's just really hard. Being at yeah. the level I'm at and being mm. being told that it's still not good enough.
1: Yeah, and how how is it now? You you said you were bowling. You're bowling until October, and mm. you have to go home after that. And
0: yeah, so what happened was that visa that I was talking about was denied. I had to actually fly back to the UK. Um, yeah. The, the government told me that you you can't be in the us anymore right if i was to stay mm. in the us i would have been illegal um mm. and eventually you know they could never let me back in the country so it, i didn't really have a choice i had to go home mm. and whilst i was home i resubmitted the application so i was still applying for the exact same athlete visa because in my opinion and in my attorney's opinion, I was qualified for it. So we reapplied for that visa. She obviously did all of the paperwork, changed some things and I'm actually still waiting. So that was submitted like March, 2021. um, And we're now in July, 2021. So I'm still, (laughs) yeah. And I mean, it is normal. Like it definitely is a long process. You can pay for them to process your paperwork quicker. But it is a lot of money. Um, And it's something that I would have done if I didn't have the access to be able to come and bowl right now. So if it had Mm -hmm. come down to it and I had no way to get back into the US, then, of course, I would have done it because I made that decision to make bowling my livelihood. So I have to stick by that. Um, But luckily enough, with some help from a lot of people, I was able to actually just to get a tourist visa, but it's a tourist Mm. visa that still allows me to compete and it allows me to earn prize money. So I'm able to come into the US on that. And it's actually the same visa that a lot of the international players travel on. So like Dom, Pontus, they all travel on it. Um, It's just, I'd never done that before. And obviously I was very scared because I'd just been on a a work visa and now I'm going to be entering a country on a tourist visa. How does that look? Like I'm not earning any income. I'm just truly earning the prize money from tournaments but thankfully yeah. i was able to get that and i was able to enter the us it limits me to be in the us for three months at a time which sounds like a long time but obviously for the women's tour we were bowling it goes by fast it goes by yeah. fast i mean we were bowling yeah. you know we bowled nine i think events eight events and in a row and that, that adds up to three months quite quickly so exactly yeah um so yeah i did have to go home after We had an event in Louisville in June and I had to go Mm. back home after to almost reset the visa. Um, As long as I leave the country, it's deemed okay. Mm. I obviously want to leave for a long enough time to where it doesn't look like I'm trying to live in the U.S. like I'm not trying to work or anything in the U.S. I'm truly just coming in for those competitions so I went home for that period and then just came back a week before the Lucy so I could have a little time to drill some bowling balls and do some extra preparation prior to the next half of the PWA swing yeah
1: so um uh you, I mean, for all the people that follow you on social media, we—you're obviously big on, on you know, improving physically and mentally. Um, I want to ask you, like, have you always been like that since you were young, or is that something so, you learned in college?
0: Physical wise, I feel like I've always kind of been trained to work on my physical game, and I think that's because I had some access to some very good coaches growing up. Um, I was lucky to always have coaches around me that were very good. So I was always working on my physical game. It was something that I constantly did. And then I moved to the US and for four years I'm working on my physical game again. So it's just mm. been something that has kind of been trained, I guess, or like screwed <laughs> into my brain. Like you have to do physical, physical, physical and Actually, the last few years, um, I've kind of had that realization of like, Verity, your physical game is very good right now. You need to calm down and not work (laughs) on it so much. Because my first couple of years on tour, I would get halfway through the season and I'd make all of these changes as if I was throwing it awful. And it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't really throwing it that bad. Maybe I was making bad decisions. Maybe I... Mm -hmm. You know, my ball motion wasn't very good, but like physically I was still throwing the ball okay. So that's been something that I've definitely struggled with. I think because I've been so trained to work on physical, I've always felt like I need something to work on. So it's kind of been a little bit of a mindset change to realize that like your physical game is good. Working on one thing at a time is key. And just find those little triggers to where you're going to have bad days, right? Like I'm far from perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. And there's going to be days like the practice session that I just had at the mixed doubles. The first 25 minutes of the practice session, I felt like I was throwing it everywhere and it just felt awful. You know, so it's finding those little triggers that you can use during a tournament that make you feel more comfortable. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And in terms of physical, not physical, mental game, I used to be a mess when I was younger. Um, Mentally, I definitely felt like I was all over the place. So much so that I actually had, (laughs) I worked with a sports psychologist when I was, I must have been 16, 17. I worked with a sports psychologist and, you know, he used to come to my house. We used to sit down. We used to write goals. I like had all of these papers I used to fill out. I used to practice like he used to try to get me to do the self-talk and the visualization everything you read in books we went over and Mm. I'm very grateful that my parents were willing to help me and they obviously saw a need for it and it was kind of during that time frame to where I'd not been selected by Team England I had been told Mm. some reasonings as to why I wasn't selected and I was very down on myself and I didn't quite understand why and i was beating myself up i had no confidence so my parents saw that and we found this sports psychologist and i worked with him and looking back on it now i think it genuinely helped me but i don't think that i fully grasp the concept So he used to try and get, you know, like, let's do visualization. And I didn't do it. You know, as much as I would love to be like, oh, yeah, I did it. Like, I just I I felt like I couldn't do it. I didn't have that connection to where I really saw the benefit in bowling. So Uh, as much as I, I did then make Team England, and it must have worked. And obviously, it was great. But I felt like I, back then I didn't hold, I was still so focused on physical game, right? I probably didn't wholeheartedly believe in the mental game, but now I'm like a completely different person because I have noticed. And I would say that, during college, we worked on mental game, right? We we had sports psychologists that we worked with each year. And a lot of it was team orientated. But there was yeah. also individual aspects to it. So it was something that I was always around. And I was accustomed to the fact that you're supposed to work on your mental game. But I think until you truly believe it, um, regardless of how much people can tell you things, it doesn't really mean anything. It's the same thing oh. with You can read a book about mental game, and you can think that you're going to be fixed. But unless you are actually applying the knowledge that you learn from that book, nothing's really going to change. And I think the biggest turning point for me was in what year was it? Probably in 2018 um 2019 because i'd I'd had a couple of years on tour at that point and at the end of every season i would always go through and i would review what went wrong what was the issue and i always felt like part of it was mental i mean i would go to shoot a tempin and i would tell myself verity you're going to miss that and like that's not okay as a i'm supposed (laughs) to be an athlete at the top of my game and i'm (laughs) standing on the approach and i'm telling myself i'm going to miss the tempin like that is like when <laughs> that is when I knew there was a problem. And I'm like, this is not okay. You have to figure out... Like, yeah. mentally, you're screwing yourself over. You know? Like, I can throw yeah. it, like, the best in the world. But if I don't believe in myself and I'm telling myself, I'm going to make all of these mistakes, then it doesn't matter how I throw the ball. So that was kind of where that changing point was in terms of like, maybe physical games, not as big of it. It's still a big deal. Don't get me wrong. But for me, the mental game had to to overtake that. So that's when I really sat down and I, I kind of worked through, okay, what, what do I need to improve? What do I need to get better at? And I created a whole training plan in terms of you know, on Monday practice session, I'm doing this on Tuesday, I'm doing this. And and I like, I planned everything out. I, I, I hate reading books, but I started reading, I learned to do visualization, I started meditating. And it, it's just been such a big game changer for me in terms of my game. And then yeah. um, I just I started to really see the difference. I think that having 2020 off also helped because obviously a lot of us were stuck at home for so long. So we're yeah. at home, what are we going to do? Like, okay, well, I'm going to read more books, I'm going to meditate more. <laughs> and I can't throw a bowling ball down the lane. So I can visualize myself throwing it down the lane. And maybe, you know, maybe that's going to help me. They they say in all of these books that it helps them, why not try it? And I just started to believe in it more than anything. And I think that made the difference because. I would actually apply what I'm reading. Um, and I'm just more aware of my thoughts. Like the person you speak to the most is yourself. So it was more about having that realization of what am I saying to myself? Like I'm telling myself I'm bad. I'm telling myself I'm going to miss it. Like obviously all of that's then going to happen because you're going to listen to yourself. So creating that awareness of what was going on in my mind was really important and, now i've seen the benefit and i've seen the difference so obviously i'm going to kind of continue working on it
1: yeah it's um i can relate to that you know talking to yourself in a negative way during practices and i don't think many bowlers like actually think about it uh, or take notice of it but it affects them in a bad way just just i think it was Two days ago I was practicing and you know the the approach was sticky because of the humid and you know the thumb gets uh, it's it it's humid every and it's sticky and you know it's oh and uh I just started like bashing myself and like blaming you know cursing and I'm this and that and you know it's and then you go take another shot and you expect it to be good and it it won't be good and you get even more pissed off and it's just I, I like ended up just not giving a shit. And I walked out of a bowling center and just, okay, fuck it, I'll do it tomorrow. And, and it just, it went all, you know, I got nothing out of the day. But as I was walking home, I just caught myself and, you know, okay, that there can't happen again. Like that's, you're not gonna get any better by bashing yourself during training. And like, I could have easily, like, Put a sock on the shoe, or yeah. you know, you know, easy slide on the thumb, and whatever you know, it's 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 so easy to fix. If you just take a breather and just think about it, just fix it, you know. Yeah. And and also, I I wanted to talk about the um, I wish that like the mental game of the sport would be more I don't know talked about as especially here. It, just to take my team, it's it's um it's it's not talked about enough i think and and i was talking to chris about it and and it it seems to be like a european thing because he was talking about that, that that the americans aren't that big on it i've i've i don't know how it is but i've i would imagine it's big in college as you say mm-hmm. but um it seems to be a little bigger here in in europe but still i wouldn't in my opinion I would I would love to see more of it cuz I don't think it's big enough here like in our sport really
0: I think it is similar in every sport though I mean you think about golf and a lot of people always compare golf and bowling to one another and it's it's the same yeah. thing like the mental game in golf is probably huger than the game itself and it's the same thing in bowling and I, yeah. it's hard to say why it's not talked about I think a lot of people just have to sometimes I think it's something you have to go through on yourself um as much as you can try and push and as much as you can try and help people you know until you really have that realization that it's going to make a difference sometimes i i don't think people will listen but like i'm trying very hard right now i have a i have a patreon page to where a lot of people subscribe and you know i provide them with a lot of content and one of my biggest things on that page is the mental game because It is something that you can't just go online and find all of this information, you know. So I'm trying to at least that way I have a platform that bowlers can go to and they can find out more information about the mental game. And I can kind Mm. of tell them what's worked for me, what's not worked for me. And that's not to say it's going to work for everyone. It is kind of a trial and error kind of thing. Like I said, when I was younger, I couldn't do visualization at all and Mm. now it's completely different. Now I feel like visualization is one of the reasons that I found some confidence in myself. So it's just kind of sharing my experiences with people. And and I think it's really helped. And I've also, a lot of people hate to read. So on that page, I've also been sharing just, sometimes it's just a quote, as as simple as that, that makes people click. It just makes people think about things. So um, yeah, it's definitely something that any athlete i think has to has to work on a ridiculous amount i mean those you know everyone at the olympics right now if you speak to them and they're a hundred percent going to say that mental game is important yeah
1: exactly and like you you mentioned that you uh that you uh you do a lot of or you do meditation and mm-hmm. and i think that's also like first when i started thinking about meditation you think of a uh, person sitting cross-legged on the floor you know just deep in some right. you know zen and just you know focusing on on something but once i realized that meditation can be like you can go out for a walk or the gym or uh, you can go out for a run and and like you can you can make meditation whatever you want and as 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 long as you just get into that zone you know so yeah and like, uh,
0: i think for me the reason i actually started meditation was at the beginning, it was less about bowling and more about sleep. Because sleep has always been something that I've always struggled falling asleep. Because as soon as my head hits the pillows, the pillow, it's like my brain turns on and I'm thinking 50 things a second. So for me, when I first started meditation, it was like, Verity, like, you cannot keep laying there for three hours and not falling asleep. Like, this is not good for you. You're not sleeping enough. So that was why I first started. And then I kind of got into the combining meditation and visualization together and being able to visualize as I'm falling asleep. And it takes my mind off absolutely everything else that I would normally think about as soon as I lay down in bed. And it's something yeah. that's actually going to benefit me in my, in my sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I read a book or, you know i'm one of those i hate reading i can't read i fall asleep as soon as i start reading so i listened to a book uh with some psychiatrists who uh, helped lebron james and uh he actually he actually made the team that he was playing for at the time and uh, uh, they uh, he made the team make like a um, video montage of like all these great moments, like when he's making shots, making free throws, making this and that. And he was supposed to watch that before he went to bed. Mm -hmm. So he watches this montage how many times he wants, whatever. And then when he hits the pillow, he's still like playing that montage in his head as he's falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And I actually, obviously, I didn't make a video montage of myself, but but like, I started, like, visualizing, you know, just striking, you know, mm-hmm. before falling asleep. And it's amazing how how much effect it has. Just, just yeah. seeing yourself striking mm-hmm. is as easy as
0: that. 100%. I Crazy. mean, I genuinely believe that's been such a confidence booster slash changer for me because mm. I never used to have that much confidence that I could win, right? So... Up until this point, I had, you know, finished runner up quite a few times on the PWA tour. So I'd, I'd, find, I'd found a way to put myself in the position to win. I'd got to those title matches, but for whatever reason, I didn't win. And yeah. again, you can analyze all you like to figure out what those reasons were. But now I believe it's because I wasn't ready to win. I didn't have that belief that I should be the one holding the trophy. And for me, actually visualizing myself there holding the trophy started to give me that belief of, oh wow, I can win. And mm. as I started to do that at the time when I was doing it, I wasn't bowling on the PWA tour. It was there was just some local sweepers. But I started to win those local sweepers and I'm thinking, yeah. okay, like I, I, I can win. And you know, then I just continued with that visualization and I really feel like it's made a difference for me for sure. Yeah.
1: it's important to get that get the taste of it you know as you say that mm-hmm. okay and I
0: mean, all of the sports psychologists say that your mind doesn't know the difference between what is real and what is imagined and it's really funny because after I won this year in Nashville I you know obviously after you win there's a, there's a little speech and you thank your sponsors and That is part of what I had visualized. Right, was me holding the trophy and thanking Storm and Vice and Coolwick, and I'd I'd literally done that speech over and over and again in my head. And after I won, I did the speech, and it just like it flew off my tongue. Like it, I didn't have to think about it. It just happened. And one of the (laughs) ladies from the PWA said, like, "Verity, that was like that was really good." And I was like. It's because I visualized <laughs> it so much. You know, it's yeah. it's like when you practice for a speech, something, you know, you, you get so confident in doing it because you've done it so many times before. Well, yeah. that was the same thing with me with me winning and me doing this speech only. I'd not actually done it. I'd only visualized doing it. But My mind mm-hmm. didn't know that. My mind thought all of that was real. Like when you wake up from yeah. a dream and you're like, wait, did that actually happen or did that not happen? Same kind exactly. of, after I won, it was the same kind of feeling like, is this yeah. real?
1: Is this not real? <laughs> like, what's going on right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can, uh, I can actually. Re- now that I think about it, when I was bowling Dom in in Kuwait, in that world, uh, in Kuwait Open, um, after I came home, like everybody asked me, "Wow, you must have been so stressed, mm-hmm. and but you you look so calm, and you look like you've been doing it for like all your life," and and I was like. Now like, after I thought about it, I mean, I answered like, yeah, sure, I was stressed. But I mean, I was like, I was in the moment and blah, 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 you know, the usual stuff you say, but like, when I really thought about it afterwards, it's like, I've visualized it, like, probably not not that exact tournament, but I've, I've like, probably, at least 10 times every single day, I see myself pba tour whatever tournament it is i see myself winning something like every single freaking day Mm -hmm. like and it gives me goosebumps every time you know seeing you know i see myself go like you you, pete weber screaming what do you think you are like that's (laughs) like that's what i want to do you know and it like it gives me goosebumps every time i think about it you know i want to take my glasses off and smash them in the approach you know it's you know, it's um, and it's true what you say. Like when you visualize it, the mind just—it's—it's it's already done. Even though that doesn't mean though you're gonna win every time. It's not what we're saying. It's just
0: yeah, I mean, when I mean, it
1: happens. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. And I think it is more of a confidence boost than anything. I think that obviously, yes. Okay. Just because I visualized it doesn't mean I'm going to rock up to every event and it's going to happen. Like, obviously exactly. that's not the case, but it gives you a little bit more belief. And sometimes it allows you to push through a little bit more because you're like, well, no, I know I can get there. So, you know, you work whether you work even harder or maybe you're close to making the cut and you just find it within yourself to have that big game to, to keep grinding and to keep putting yourself in that position. Because in the end, like, it's very hard to control, obviously, whether or not you're going to make that show. But all you can yeah. do is put yourself in the position to win. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, what do you think you need – what do you think you need to improve – in your game to really excel on the on the on the PWA tour
0: I like think you got the one
1: title but I mean I guess you I get guess, I'm guessing you want to you know get more keep going
0: 100% yeah I I think it's for me it's continuing on the mental game I am far from you know I'm, I'm getting better let's put it that way but there is a lot of improvement that I can do there I, I still have moments where I'm saying things to myself that I don't that I shouldn't be saying um <laughs> So that's a huge factor for me. And then the other factor is just continuing learning more about ball motion. Um, I'm getting a lot better at seeing ball motion. I'm getting a lot better at seeing differences between bowling balls, but it's never ending. You know, that's something that I'm going to have to continue working on, even though I might feel like I I see the lane great. Every week is different, right? Every week there is a Mm -hmm. different challenge. And for me, that's, that's making decisions and, Obviously, bowling is it's a bit of a guessing game. Don't get me wrong. Like there is not always an answer. I can't say you have to throw that bowling ball and you have to move to left. Right. It's a guess. Which bowling ball do I pick up? What part of the lane do I throw it in? So for me, it's about being able to create the most educated guesses possible. And it's giving myself the best opportunity to do that. And the only way I can do that is by learning more and more by You know practicing on different patterns and learning out learning okay what parts of the lane are these certain balls good on if i'm gonna bowl on 32 Mm. feet which balls am i going to use um and again it it might be a that it might be more technical than that, it might be okay, if I'm bowling on this pattern, I'm probably going to need a higher RG or a lower RG versus this exact bowling ball. Because again, that changes in three years time, I might not have access to a bowling ball that I love right now. So it might be more about the technical side of things. So to me, those are the biggest things that I need to continue working on. And again, it's, it's all going to come down to experience. I'm, I'm still pretty young, I like to think that I've got a lot of years ahead of me. So I still have plenty of time to continue working on all of that
1: yeah um a friend of mine actually wanted to well he was wondering and wanted me to ask i i before i ask this question i am you know i'm a feeler i i almost like don't think at all when i bowl i just want to go up there and throw it oh i don't like that i need that ball you know and mm-hmm. keep going from there but uh, he was wondering why urethane uh, or why the high rev girls on the pw a PWBA tour um why aren't using urethane as much as we do on the or the guys do on the pba is there some reason for that or
0: i think firstly is or are you using it a lot a lot you know yeah so i mean i use urethane whenever i get the opportunity to because for me at least for game one it gives me a controllable motion and i actually i shot 300 with the fast pitch this year on tour and at that event quite a few girls were using urethane and we've had a couple of events where girls are using urethane but i think you have to think the guys rev rate versus the high girls rev rate on tour yeah. is still you, you look at that comparison and you might look at myself daria jordan richard you look at the higher rev rates it's still on the lower side for the guys so mm. i will use urethane whenever i get an opportunity to but the other thing is that the patterns just don't always necessarily allow us to use urethane Um, whereas again, I think the guys have more of a chance to make it work because of the rev rate. So, you know, even Mm -hmm. if they're bowling on 43 feet, they have more of a option to make it work because they have the rev rate. Um, the other thing that I've tended to notice with the women is that the women tend to stay a little bit further, right. And a lot of that part of the lane and the fronts tend to go away. Right. So then if I'm trying to use urethane, it just picks up so early and then I try to make the move off it, but as I move left, none of the girls have migrated there yet. So I'm just moving into more oil. So then it doesn't pick up. Yeah. So sure. I think that's a lot of the reason to why we end up using reactive more. But yeah. urethane is definitely something that I I try in every practice session, unless. I already have a feeling, you know, if I'm bowling on 52 feet, then that urethane is not going to be coming out of my bag. So I, I, I will always look at, you know, the characteristics of the pattern and the bowling center to figure out whether or not it's uh, going to have a chance.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's definitely something I got to be more... Uh, I got to I gotta do that more. I, I always say I hate bowling with thing, but I mean, it's kind of I kind of exaggerate, exaggerated a little bit. I just, I, I've never liked that, mm-hmm. you know, early emotion. But then my buddy always tells me, but um, you've made a lot of money with your yeah, thing. Enough. And I stop and think, and like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I mean,
0: It's just not know why. It's definitely a different motion. And I think it's something that you do have to practice with. And it's something that you have to get used to. And I think for me, bowling with the guys even if it's just a local sweeper where everyone's using urethane benefited me because it taught me how to move with urethane like the moves you make with urethane are completely different to the moves you make with reactive Mm. so i think just getting urethane in your hands and being able to bowl with it is is a huge difference maker but then the biggest thing also is when you then go away from urethane what do you go to
1: Oh, Jesus. Right.
0: And yeah. <laughs> if everyone has been throwing urethane and you have so much carry down and they're so tight yeah. down lane, but then I need to throw reactive, but I'm throwing it into the tightness, then what do you mm. throw? You know, so I think that's also something that goes hand in hand with it. Like, yes, it's okay to figure out how to throw urethane, but do you know then what to go to when you can't throw urethane anymore?
1: Yeah. That purple ball has, you know, it's, I don't, I don't even like to like, it's your thing but it's not your thing yeah
0: it's like, a it's a special kind of your thing
1: oh yeah it's uh i can't even describe it it is still is a big part of you know my game at least and, uh, yeah it's uh, yeah hopefully it uh, continues to be <laughs> but um what's in your bag right now what what are if you're you're going to a tournament What's uh What's the six balls you you put in the bag?
0: Oh, it's hard to pick six. <laughs> Spare ball is my number one bowling ball. I know a lot of people, mainly a lot of guys, don't use a plastic, but for me, I am so comfortable using it that even if I can only have six bowling balls, it's it's going to be a urethane. Now, yeah. the rest is going to depend on where I'm bowling. I am a big believer that. Surface dictates a lot of what your bowling balls are going to do, regardless of what pattern you are bowling on. If you're bowling on, you know, HPL versus Pro Amber Lane, it's going to be two different arsenals. So that makes it hard to pick six bowling balls. But if I just go by kind of what I really like right now, I'm always going to have an IQ Tour and a Phase Two in my Arsenal. Right now, I'm going to have an RST X1 in my Arsenal. Mm -hmm. I am probably going to have a hustle PBR in my arsenal, and then the last one's a tricky one. But right now, I would probably say the Honey Badger intensity would be my fifth one. So yeah, but- I was
1: going to ask uh, how because uh, you can bowl with you can bowl with uh, nine hundred global now.
0: Yes, yeah, I can. It's it's. I mean, obviously, now I have three brands that I'm able to pick from, um, but yeah. I think that obviously that's great because we have so many, so much access to different bowling balls. Um, I'm I'm really happy to be able to throw, to throw all three. And I think that there's been some very good additions from 900 global. I mean, I have a honey badger intensity. I have a Zen with me this week. I I have nine balls with me um, at the Lucy.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of, I thought it was so cool to see that when the, when the transition happened or, Integration happened between the between the companies. It was cool to see that, you know, the Storm and Roto guys actually are. You know, they're actually bowling a lot with. You know, the send is pretty good with them, and uh, I can't remember the name now, just because we're talking about it. But I just like that they actually drilled a lot of balls. Mm-hmm.
0: That just and shows know, how good balls. they are. You know, like those guys wouldn't be throwing them if they weren't good.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm. what I'm saying. Because you know, they're I can imagine if, like, it would yeah, we're we're bowling already with storm and and roto, and you know, we don't need you know the third company because obviously we're we're throwing pretty good balls and and but yeah, it's. I love to see it. that they're actually they give it a chance, and you know, as I the send looks pretty good, and and that's. Um, and on the women's tour tour, uh, tour too, I uh, obviously Daria is doing it a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's the staffer, so that's uh, yeah. it's pretty cool.
0: Yep.
1: That's pretty cool. Well, it's been awesome having you on, having Thank this uh, talk, and uh, I wish you all the best on the in the Lucy and the rest of the season. And uh, we gotta do this again.
0: Yes, let's do I it. Mean,
1: we could have
0: talked for hours, <laughs> no, I know, and I feel like I haven't spoken to you in so long either, so we, we <laughs> need, now I need to interview you so that all of your fans can get to know you a little better but no i I appreciate you doing this. I think that you know bowling's a very special world, and I think that the more we can get to know one another and it's just so nice to be able to be able to interact and have these conversations and spread the love of bowling. So I appreciate what you're doing for the sport too, and keep up the good bowling. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Bye bye. Bye, everybody.